Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, Bob, here we are back at the boot camp, and we continue to change locations. This time I'm at the JBA office, and you are live to us from, I'm looking at the posters behind you, trying to figure out what those are. Well, these are stuffed animals, actually. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm not here on a food tour. I'm not here because they've asked me to do Yelp reviews here. I'm here because I was meeting with Brian Croft to talk about our pastor's cohorts, yeah. And also to see my youngest child, who is a sophomore slash junior-ish uh, student here at the U of L. So I'm actually doing this podcast from her collegiate bedroom in her townhome. Can I just tell you, college kids don't live like we used to when we were went to school, Jimbo. <laughs> this dorm room is like, so imagine a, a slate of new townhomes in a primo development with a swimming pool, a full workout facility and dog walking park. It's That was not my collegiate experience. No, that was definitely not mine. My collegiate dorm was uh, 12 by 14 cinder block square with a light hardwired into like this desk area. And <laughs> true story, Bob, my, my first time in the dorm room, I noticed that the, the metal rectangle that's like supposed to be like a desk light that is attached to the wall was cattywampus. And I thought, let me straighten that. And it, it, it electrically shocked me so hard. It sent me across the room <laughs> Yes. and we had communal showers and I decided they had these communal showers is like three showers on one side, three showers on the other side and a big water hose going down the middle just to clean them. And so I thought I would prank a guy that I knew and turn on the, the cold water on the hose and throw it in the shower. And I did. Until the next week, he threw it on just the hot water Ooh. and threw it in, in my shower. And Ooh. I had third degree burns on half of my scalp. <laughs> Did you lose hair? Did you go bald? Uh, I, had, I had to cut a lot of my hair off. Yeah, I had long hair at that point, too. I was a hippie, man. I had it was it was ugly. Man, I need a picture of that for the podcast. Like, are we talking Trevor Lawrence hair? That's not that long. The QB of uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, not not sunshine long. Okay. Hey, man. Speaking of sunshine, that reminds me of the great movie Remember the Titans, which reminds me of music. And we had some great music in Remember the Titans, and we have an awesome guest. <laughs> we have an what awesome a segue. guest. What a segue. So did you practice that transition beforehand or was that just off the top of your head? Cause it was painless. Man, I'm just ripping. I'm okay. just ripping. All right. I'm it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we found a, I think we found a kindred brother yeah. in our special guest today, Nathan Drake. Before we were getting on, he changed headphones seven times. I changed headphones twice. Don't be lying to everybody now. <laughs> and he threw four different chairs out the window because they just. <laughs> so this is the exaggeration podcast. Is that what we're yeah, doing? Yeah. 
No, but Jim, Jimbo's a pastor, so he speaks ministerially, right? Oh, okay. So. That was like a sermon illustration. There you yeah. go. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Uh, okay. So now we're super excited to have Nathan Drake on with us today. If you've never heard of him, you need to look him up and check out his ministry. I don't just think he's a kindred heart because he's funny. I think he's a, a kindred heart because he loves churches and he loves serving churches and helping churches and especially in whatever way he can, even if they can't financially support his ability to do that. And so if anybody would like to donate a really nice office chair, like a good one to, to make him, <laughs> then, uh, then contact the Replant Boot Camp and we would love to gift him a really good uh, office chair. There we go. <laughs> the way that you came on our radar, we came across the videos you started creating in the pandemic for churches that were trying to do online worship and had no idea how to do that. And so just fill us in a little bit on how that all came to be. Sure. So we were actually in Florida when everything went to H-E double hockey sticks. And we were there with our, our church friends. We were having a nice Florida vacation, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can can we even fly home? And everything starts closing. The beaches started closing, closing. And all the people I'm there with are like pastors and such. So they're getting all these notifications from their church. You know, we can't do this. We got closed. We got to do this. Everybody's scrambling. And I wasn't full time in a church at the time. So I was like watching this craziness happen with everybody around me. And I, I don't, I'm not like a, oh, I heard God say something kind of guy very often. Like this might have been the once or twice I'll say that. But I I was like, I could hear God, not audibly, but I could hear God like say, okay, you see all these people around you having to close their churches. You know how to do this worship thing online with the video and the audio. You've been doing it. These people need help. Just go home and make things for them. Like that's – so I went home that night. We like stayed up late and painted the wall that I had to film on because it was – like disgusting peach rotten gross color and so we painted the wall next day i set up everything and started filming these worship sets and then put them online so churches could download them and use them for free because those first month or so i mean all the small churches are like we we don't even own a video camera like what are we supposed to do you know so i just you know i made these short worship sets 12 15 minutes it was like three hymns public domain so there's no rights issues and like some liturgy and some scripture in between so basically just like a full worship set that would go before sermon and then people could come and download them for free stick them before their sermon their pastor could preach on his webcam and they could still have service during that crazy time man i really wish i had known about that when we were trying to figure out how to do that early on that would have been really awesome to be, to be able to <laughs> yeah we were just trying to figure out which way to aim the iphone is it landscape or mm -hmm. is it portrait yep. some people still have not figured that out <laughs> nope um, Man, Nathan, so your your gift to the church in that time and to the church plural, kind of, you know, the big the big C, the, the, the churches as they were meeting, really helped us and helped so many people fill a, a great need that existed during COVID. But when we when we think about churches as a whole, one of the biggest questions that replanters and revitalizers and even established churches ask is what do we do for worship, right? How do we how do we handle worship? And particularly for those of us that are working in replants or revitalizations, we're stepping into a situation where it's a predominantly senior adult congregation. They don't sing some of the modern worship songs. They can't physically sing some of the modern worship songs. And here you are, a young guy that has connected with hymns 
and have, has really has really done a fantastic job of capturing stylistically, but also lyrically and, and with just a lot of integrity hymns. So can you explain to us what drew you to the hymns and, and why they're important to you? Yeah, so I, I did technically grow up in a church, like physically. I went to church on Sundays, but I was not into it. And I stopped going as soon as my mom would let me stop going when I was a kid. So I was not really into church. And even that church was mostly contemporary music at the time, which is old music now. <laughs> but so hymns, honestly, weren't a thing to me as a Christian ever, like when I was small. So when I became a Christian later in life and then became a worship leader, hymns were not something that that were nostalgic to me or even that I wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't even know they existed half the time, except for Amazing Grace, maybe. So to me, they were kind of new songs in a way, which I think helps what I'm doing, because that's what I'm trying to do with them is make them new songs, basically. When it comes to worship leading, I'm very into theological integrity and I don't know what the word is, just substance, you know, in songs. And then also just intentionality and worship, like make sure the songs you're singing are the songs you actually want to be singing. <laughs> so hymns obviously are very good in that regard. Some hymns, I should say, are very good in that regard and just have kind of these, either have very deep theology or have parts of theology that modern songs don't touch a lot. So that's, I started using these because I needed to, because I needed to go certain places with the music that didn't really exist in modern worship music. And also in the church where I started this, we kind of had what you talked about. It, we had these older people who wanted to sing these hymns, but they needed to sing them like they were and not like some other guy recreated them as. Like, I don't have a problem with adding choruses or changing melodies to hymns, but sometimes that's not what you need and that's not what you want. And I couldn't find what I needed in that regard or just straight up. So I started making them. I was like, hey, but other people can use these. So I put them online and then that's how it happened. What advice would you have for worship leaders in these smaller churches that are multi or really any church that's multi-generational and is trying to figure out how to find that balance. Because I told you before we started recording that one of the struggles I had with our worship leader at one point was I would say, Hey, we need to be doing some hymns in the set list. And I would say, as we're doing those hymns, man, find a way to sing it in the way that our senior adults remember how to sing it. So it hits that heart chord for them and helps bring them to the throne and he would always play some very new arrangement of it. And, and I, I felt like in my conversations with our senior adults that it that actually hurt us more than it helped us because it, it was like, it was like just enough of a reminder of, we don't like your music. <laughs> it came across like, we don't like your music so much. We're not even willing to sing it the way you sang it. We're going to have to update it. But at the same time, I do get it as a younger guy who I didn't really grow up singing a lot of hymns either. And so I'll go to a church sometimes where they're singing it in the way that it was sung in 1950 or in 1970. And for whatever reason, that kind of arrangement doesn't resonate. And I don't know enough about music to understand the reasons why. And so maybe you could speak to that. Why is it that those styles are, are hard to come hard to bring those generations together? And what advice would you have? for worship leaders in multi-generational churches. Could you ask me a more complicated question if you can? <laughs> yeah, it's, there's no easy answer. I started doing the hymns acoustic one because that's just the easier way to translate it from a musical or art standpoint, because you kind of strip everything away except for the melody and that sort of thing. And then you can look at it 
as a song instead of a style, if that makes sense. So that helped was going going low key with it going just acoustic. My current project I'm working on is the opposite, trying to bring them into like like legit modern like Hillsong elevation that style of music kind of stuff. And I will tell you, it's very difficult <laughs> to keep them the same and do that. But I've been I've been able to. And I think it's it's really good. I'm excited about it. But I will say that I think. When I was doing it, there was these huge like temptations to change what the hymn was because that would make it sound more modern. And again, I don't have a problem with that, but I think the first thing you need to do when you're using these hymns is ask yourself why you're using these hymns. Because if you're using them so that the older people can sing along, then changing the melody completely is doing the opposite of what you're intending to do. So for, again, with the intentionality before you play the song, figure out why you're playing the song and what you actually want to play. So again, if you're bringing them in so the older people can sing, that's awesome. Find a way to keep that melody and keep that rhythm so that they can still sing, but then you can update them like musically, the musical context for a younger audience. I would also say that <clears throat> that will not solve your problems. Hymns won't solve your problems because the style of music isn't the actual problem. The style of music or the problem is that the style of music matters. That's the problem. It doesn't matter what the style of music is. It's that it matters at all. And it's just a hard issue. And I know it's impossible to go back to, but really you kind of just got to sit down with everybody and say, Hey, just curious. Why are you here in church worshiping? Like, what's the point? And then you can all, and hopefully you can all get to the same point of we're here to worship God. Then it gets really complicated on how you do that, but you got to get back to that basic point. And then you all can sit down and figure out together how you can all do that together. I will say one of my least favorite terms in the world is blended service. Because <laughs> 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 it was like, all right, you hate this music, you hate this music. If we just play the music everybody hates, then no one will be happy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember somebody describing blended music was like taking your absolute favorite meal throwing it in a blender and then putting it in a glass and sticking a straw in it and saying, now enjoy it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you've got all the elements that you like there, but they're not in the constitution that you want them. Hey, one of the things you mentioned uh, is something that I've really been trying to pay attention to lately in our worship gathering or corporate gathering is it, it's easy just to show up in worship and kind of check the boxes. All right. Announcements, greeting, you know, singing, sermon, response. And really not engage your head and your heart. And I know in our conversations when we met a couple of weeks ago, liturgy is a big deal for you and, and it's important to you. Can you describe just briefly what's a good definition of liturgy and then what is a real simplistic liturgy that we can engage that gets people from the beginning of worship to the end of worship, gathered worship in a position where they're thinking and they're reacting in ways that or drawing them to God and respond to God? So, I mean, in the very simplest form, liturgy is just the practical way in which you do a worship service. Like, that's all it is. It isn't call the worships. It isn't this. It isn't that. It's just liturgy is the, the outline of how you're going to worship God, basically, in a real life worship service. And it can in often include things like call the worship and songs and scripture and sermons, and all those are part of the liturgy. And so I think... It's important to yeah, like step back and say, okay, we have this worship service. We want to bring people into the presence of God. We want to illustrate God as, you know, 
the redeemer, the creator. We want to talk about salvation. We want to like, you got to think of what the worship service is for, what the people need to get out of it, and then put that together and put that together as a liturgy. So for instance, like a very common liturgy that happens in a lot of churches is like call the worship song, prayer of confession, assurance, song, song, sermon, song, benediction. That's like 80% of churches in the world, which is fine because it works. But I would say take those things, if that's a liturgy kind of order you like, and look at them not as the specific things they are. Like, don't think, okay, a call to worship is a reading. A song is a song. A prayer of confession is a reading. A song is a song. Like maybe your prayer of confession is a song. Maybe this song is read. Maybe this scripture is this part. Like you don't have to have this like solid thing that everything is, this is a responsive reading. This is a song. This is a scripture. This is this. Sit down, stand up, that sort of thing. You just need to look at the liturgy as this is where the service is going. This is how we get the service to where it's going. And we want to be intentional about what's in the service so that we end up with an impactful, important service that keeps our eyes on God is what I would say about liturgy. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think there's something to be said about having liturgical elements that don't conform and feel like the rest of the world. I think sometimes we try so hard to make elements in our order of worship or liturgy feel so modern. And again, I, I'm like you said, I'm not against that, but I think there's I think there's a powerfulness to a transcendence to certain liturgical elements in that like, man, this doesn't feel like anything else that I do in my life, right? When we do this responsive reading, I can't think of anywhere else in my life that we do this or, you know, when we have this, these certain elements. And I think there can be a really powerful transcendence to that that just reminds us that we, this isn't like everything else in your life. This is a, a moment where we as a corporate body are engaging, engaging God in worship on purpose as we gather. And so what are, what are elements that would be easy to implement into smaller churches with limited resources that could help them do that? For sure. Yeah. I mean, there are liturgical resources everywhere. There's good ones, there's bad ones, but there's liturgical. There's one called the Worship Source Book, which is pretty decent. It might be a little liberal for some of the conservative churches, but it's got some good stuff in it. I use it a lot. And I will say that Again, yeah, you don't have to make up your liturgy. Like there is no need to write everything that you say in service. In fact, there's probably benefits to not write everything you say in service. And you can go to these places. You can go to super old like Matthew Henry commentaries and look at things he said. And you can go to these worship source books and you can go to Spurgeon and all these old school people and find these great things that I think a lot of people think if they take this call to worship from 1500s, that if they put it in the service, it's going to look old. It's going to sound old. And what I've noticed is that nobody cares how old the thing is. All they care about is whether you care about doing it or not. Like it, it becomes an issue and it feels old only when you do it because you have to do it every week and you do it every week and you have no idea what it means anymore. And everybody's saying it with no emotion and that sort of thing that feels old. But if you're reading something from, you know, eight 1500s with passion and everybody knows what it means and you've explained it well, then it doesn't feel old at all. It feels modern. It feels fresh because it's not old. You're engaging with God in that moment. Just you're using that old, you know, thing. It's like when you go to an art museum, 
Like I don't go up to a Van Gogh and think, Ugh, that looks old. I can't relate to that anymore. Like, <laughs> no, it's awesome. Like <laughs> it's great. Somebody made a great piece of art. So use it. Just make sure you're paying attention and you're using it and you're not just reciting it over and over and over and over, over again. So that's what I would say is you don't need to write everything in your service and you don't, everything doesn't need to be fresh in the regard of it needs to be a brand new item. It needs to be fresh in the sense that everybody there is hearing it like they've never heard it before. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's solid. Uh, I think that growing up, every church has a liturgy and having been to two different kinds of churches. And then I think one of the, the second church that I served in was a very formal you know, handbells and choir robes and responsive readings and confessions and those sorts of things. But there seemed to be just an absence of passion and, and investment and intentionality in the whole service, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like we kind of shuffled in, sat down, and we knew that we were going to do these things. But it, there really was no explanation and no passion. And I think that's really what you're getting at is, is taking a modern element, a new element, whatever element it is, and making sure that you've explained it well and it's leading the people somewhere into an experience with God and his word and the truth and that, that it's, it's unified and, and, um, and expresses the gospel and the goodness and the faithfulness and the sovereignty and the righteousness of God and the glory of Christ. I think those are all important things. And one of the questions uh, that kind of relates to that is sometimes it's easy for the congregation and then also for worship leaders just to be so kind of accustomed to a Sunday that we just lose heart in it. Like we're just doing it right. And showing up. And so I want to give everybody credit for participation in worship. And especially during COVID where our numbers are declining. So I don't want to take away from people who are going to church, but man, speak to the worship leaders out there, particularly because one of the things we, we hear a lot about is pastor burnout. And so we can talk about how replanters and revitalizers need to stay fresh. Well, man, worship leaders go through the same thing. And how does a worship leader who's responsible for the for the very, you know, one of the very important parts of the service, the beginning part of the service and then the close part of the service to really bring people in and bring passion to it? How does a worship leader stay fresh and connected to the Lord? And also, how do they maintain excellence in, in all that they do? Not excellence just in terms of being like a stellar performer, but excellence in the sense of bringing, bringing intentionality and passion to what they do and leading. You're more qualified to speak of the spiritual aspects of that, so I'll leave that to you. I can talk about some practical aspects. I, I will say, oh, let me say two things about this. One, I think replants have something that a lot of people don't have that they wish they did, and that's that you have some of you, if you've like, if you've gone taken an old congregation and a new congregation and. and put them together, those replants. What you have is you have a group of people that have no idea how to do a worship service with a group of people that have done it so many times they're sick of it. And both of these people get to help each other. Like, I think often it ends up as like this butting head sort of thing. But if we could just shift our minds so that it's a, oh my gosh, we get to learn all these awesome ways of doing worship that these people have been doing for years. The other side gets, look, these people are so, I mean, this is all new to them. That's amazing. I wonder what it's like when it's new to you. And you both get to experience this kind of worship culture that doesn't exist a lot of places and is awesome. Like, So one of the ways to keep it fresh is that in a replant where there's two congregations, older and younger, coming together, you literally get to create a worship culture that does not exist anywhere else in the world because of these two congregations coming together. And that in itself is fresh. 
Like you're, <laughs> that's that literally doesn't exist anywhere in the world. And you get to build it. You get to be a part of making this worship culture with these two dis- disparate groups of people. So that's one thing I would say is just the worship culture itself. It gets to be fresh Two, I would say that one thing I notice that's a huge difference between like, say a brand new church plant with 30 people and a hundred year old church with 30 people is that the new church always explains things because it assumes there's someone there that doesn't know. The old church never explains a single thing because everybody's done it a thousand billion times. And I think we need to say that, listen, we need to treat this as if it's new, like, and we should explain it because sometimes after you've done it a million times, you need it explained like you've never done it before. And then, and that happens to me. Like I was doing a call to worship or a prayer of confession in a service and I wanted to explain it to the people and so I was like writing how I was going to explain it to people. I'm like, oh, I forgot. That's why we do a confession. Like, so then it was fresh to me. Like, oh yeah, we're already forgiven. We're doing this confession not to earn forgiveness. Like we're just doing it because we get to do it because our forgiveness is already earned. And you kind of get into the reasons you do these things. And those reasons can kind of come back up and you can be like, oh yeah. Because I think things get stale when we forget the reason we do them. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. All of this has been so valuable. I've written down so many great quotes. I I want to take a moment before I recap everything and and land this plane and just point everybody to some of the resources that you've put out there. So in particular, tell us about the hymn book and some of those types of resources that you've created that would be beneficial for revitalizations and replants. And then I'll land the plane. Yeah. So I do have a hymn book that's it's like 83 hymns and it's just simplified versions of the chord charts. So if you're a dude like me, who's usually just by himself with acoustic guitar with some people that are 20 years old and some people that are 80 years old, you can simply play a hymn that sounds modern. It's easy to play on guitar, but he can sing along. That's what the hymn book's for. It's just a resource to make playing hymns easier. If you're a church without a worship leader at all, I do have like lyric videos too, that you could put up on the screen and sing along with me and there's lyrics and stuff. So I could be like your, distance worship leader or something. Yeah. So all of my stuff is acoustic. And then, as I said earlier, right now, and for the next year and a half, I'm working on like set number two, which is like the ultra modern sound, but still trying to keep the hymns exactly as they are so that everyone in your congregation can sing along. Like there's not big melody changes and stuff. So that's what I'm currently doing. Those will be out in starting in September and then another year from that. So I'm trying to get, you know, the resources for that solo acoustic guy to play hymns. And then also for that band with a synth player and a drummer to play hymns the way they were. Where can we find all these things, Nathan? Where are yeah. the house? www.reawakenhymns.com would be the best place. Or YouTube. I'm also on YouTube. That's so great, man. It's so valuable. And just so many of those things, just to highlight what you said, that hymn book, if you're trying to figure out how to lead hymns in a way that your 20-year-old and your 80-year-old will both be able to sing together as you're leading that culture, that's a very valuable resource. But I wanted to go back to a quote just to, this is the one quote that stood out to me more than anything, what you said. So the style of worship isn't really the issue that the style of worship matters is really the issue. And so I appreciate the work that you've put in to helping bring generations together in style, but I even more so value your heart that it's not about the style. It's about our heart and what we're doing as we're worshiping God. Also love how you talked about explaining things. You need to explain it, uh, especially if you've done it a million times so that you always remember what it is we're doing and why 
we're doing it. Man, this has been a great episode. Check out reawakenhims.com and all the stuff that Nathan Drake has out there. A lot of it you can get from him for free because he's a generous church loving Jesus loving dude but I mean you ought to if you can that's not going to cost you it's not going to break your bank to just buy the book and buy some of those resources buy his album and help support that so he can continue to create resources that serve churches and help others Nathan thank you so much for coming on with us thanks for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.